0: ever experienced bullying whether that was at school or, or over different parts of your life then you'll take a heap out of this conversation with Alison Rodden. Alison's a copywriter and it's a perfect fit for given the life she lived and the escape she used to find in reading books. She experienced bullying over the course of four years of school and escaped by reading and seeing that world through the lens of other people's stories perfect fit for what she does now but she also talks about how she lost self-esteem she lost confidence when she was older she turned to drinking how much that became a crutch that she relied on and that's something i could relate to a lot from my own story and if you've ever been on that journey, whether you've then relied on a particular vehicle to prop up your confidence and then want to come out the other side, then you'll love this story. She shares openly about the challenges and and also about how she's been able to pay that forward and help other youngsters going through similar challenges enjoy this chat i'm a big fan of allison we are both oddballs and enjoy allison the oddball copywriter hey everyone and please welcome this week's guest allison rodden allison how are you
1: good how are you
0: very well thank you
1: thanks for having now, me
0: you're welcome i'm really looking forward to this uh, you are the oddball copywriter and I was just saying before we hit record what I know of you that's actually a perfect fit where did you land at the title the oddball copywriter
1: well it is kind of a fun story so the guy who taught me copywriting his name is Richard Fletcher he's from uh northern UK we were working together on some things for Instagram and um I was telling him how like, gosh, I'm all these copywriters I follow are so out there. They're vacationing in Bali and they move, pack up and move to Thailand. And and they are on these crazy vacations, living the laptop lifestyle. And yeah. um, he said, well, actually, you're the one that's kind of weird because you live in middle America and you're a mom and you don't do any of that stuff and you're like driving through cornfields and whatnot. So you're the oddball <laughs> and that's how it kind of just kind of stuck from there.
0: <laughs> Love it. Well, to me, that's not how I was thinking about it because it was more from when we did a some, a marketing program together and we had the same oddball humor. So whenever there was something that was very sarcastic and and subtle, it was always you and I laughing I and there was a couple of others so uh, my kind of oddball um copywriting we'll come back to that okay but we want to get into your story and so when you were describing before we jumped on it's something that I'm sure many can relate to so you want to tell us how that unfolded you, you say in your bio you're a high school dropout but that wasn't something that uh, just happened that that sort of unfolded over a few years before it came to that, right?
1: Yeah, so I went to a school that was very small. I think there were about 67-ish people in my graduating class. So we all knew each other since kindergarten. It wasn't very often that new people came to the school. So your friends that you made in kindergarten Tended to be your friends all the way through school. So when I got into eighth grade, um, my parents had actually decided that they were going to pick up and move us to Colorado. And I was really upset. I did not want to leave my friends. I had like this perfect little small town life going with all these people I had known forever. And so we went there. My dad moved and then my mom and I followed. And when we went to go see the middle school there, it was huge, it was in Golden, Colorado. And, you know, hundreds of people per grade, much bigger than I was used to and I wouldn't even get out of the car. And I said, I'm not going to school here. And my mom said, well, if you don't go to school here and we move back home, dad's not gonna come with us. He has a job here. And and so we'll be going alone. Is that, is that what you're deciding here? And you know, being 12 years old is like, um, I guess so, because I just want to see my friends. I want to be with my friends. I don't want to go here. So we ended up leaving. We went back to Illinois, where I'm from. And I was so excited to go back to school but I had missed the entire summer in between seventh and eighth grade. So my parents had done a couple of things to try to tempt me to stay there. I got to go see Bon Jovi, the Slippery When Wet Tour.
0: Which Uh
1: was like awesome. (laughs) And uh, you know, I saw people like smoking pot there and it was just wild and all of this. So when I came back, I was hurt and felt abandoned because I had spent the whole summer alone. But I didn't necessarily want everybody to know that. So I talked and talked about all, you know, going to this concert and all the cool things I did in Colorado. And the end result was that my friends decided that they didn't want to be around me anymore. It was pretty soon after we came back. And I think I was at a Halloween party at one of their houses and it was a big sleepover. Like the whole friend group, seven or eight girls were spending the night and in the, they were acting weird all night. And then in the morning they gathered together and told me, we don't like you. We're tired of hearing about your concerts and all of these awesome things. Why don't you just move back to Colorado? We're not your friends anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, It was pretty crazy to hear, and and I couldn't accept it at the time. I thought, well, they're just mad at me, and I can fix this. I can change the way that I talk and the things that I do so that they continue to like me. So I, I called my mom, you know, to come and get me, whatever. And as the year went on, I asked them, is this just temporary? Can we be friends again soon? Or you know, is this forever? And they said, no, we're done with you. We don't want to know you anymore. That's that. And prior to that, I had been fairly outgoing and not friends with, but friendly with everybody at school and enjoyed school. And once that happened, it just completely, I mean, it crushed my confidence, obviously. Yeah. Um, they, there were a lot of letters written to me about you know describing in great detail what they didn't like about me what parts of my personality were just awful and so
0: not just bullying they actually went to the links to write letters yes what mm hmm
1: yeah I mean it was it was hard um, I never wanted to go to school every day I would get ready right, get up and get ready. And then I had would stand by the back door to go outside and catch the bus to school. And my mom would start to open the door and I would just hang on to the door frame and say, I don't want to go. I can't go. And, um, I feel horrible for that. Now being a mom myself, um, I think she has as much trauma over this as I did. And she didn't make me go very often. Um, I was – they like to publish at the school, the people who missed the most days per semester. I don't know if it was like an attempt to shame you into coming more or whatever, but I was frequently the top of that list for days missed because <laughs> I, I just would not go.
0: Wow. Um, um, yeah, public shaming. No, I don't remember that happening at our school. That's awful. Um,
1: yeah. Um, so I was on that list, but at the same time I was also – in the top 10 of my class and getting letters in the mail, like inviting us to potlucks for the honor society and whatnot that I would promptly throw in the trash because there was no way on earth I wanted to go to that school when I didn't have to be there. I
0: mm-hmm. didn't even
1: want to go there when I did have to be there. Yeah. Um, so basically this all happened in the very first part of eighth grade. And from then on, I really never talked again at school. I, you know, the typical didn't have anybody to sit with at lunch. If I could, I would go to the nurse's office instead during lunch. Nobody ever chose me in PE. I mean, you've heard all these stories a million times that happened to other people. But for me, I was so crushed by this that I just assumed that the things that they had told me that were unlikable about me made me unlikable to anybody. Mm
0: -hmm. So I didn't,
1: didn't attempt to talk to anybody.
0: So can you remember like your emotional state back then? Like were you just in a constant state of, I mean, I don't know if we associate with depression, but you must have just been down a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I would often get in trouble at home for not doing my chores because all I did was read because Mm -hmm. when I was reading, I could escape and not have to think about what was going on with other things. So from, from the time I would get up, you know, on the weekends I would read all day long and same thing when I got home from school until I went to bed, my nose was in a book all the time. So I was, I'm sure very depressed and there wasn't really like counseling as much back people didn't talk about going to counseling or getting help or healing or anything like that. And also the school did nothing. Uh, My mom attempted to have them step in and stop some of the things that were going on. And they just said, well, you know, it takes two to tango. And she said, but there's like seven of them and one of her. It's not just two, Hmm. you know, can't you stop this? Can't you do something? And this was long before people filed lawsuits and all these things. So they really weren't interested in doing anything about it.
0: So through all of this, your dad's still working away?
1: Um, Through a big part of it. Yes. He he did eventually move back, but I cannot remember exactly when that was. Maybe when I was around 15, he'd moved back to Illinois.
0: So at the same time you're experiencing this, was, was having him away unsettling as well, or you were so consumed by the, what was going on at school that it didn't have this bigger impact?
1: No, it was also strange because I didn't know, I didn't understand why he wasn't home with us. Because he and my mom were not divorced; they were still married. Um, so that was, yes, a strange thing going on.
0: Mm. Is it something you've made, like you've processed it all now? Like was it was that so was that something that was hard for your mom and dad as well?
1: Um, it probably was. As an adult now, I think about it more as. Um, he did have a really good job opportunity there. Yeah. So, you know, I think it was more of a financial thing than anything else that he was out there. And it was just that it wasn't that it was a secret for me. It was just that they probably told me that and didn't think it really warranted any further explanation.
0: Hmm. Uh, except when you're a teen, you uh, overanalyze everything, right? Especially right. when you've got more time to yourself.
1: Oh, is that supposed to stop after you're a <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, yes. Well, well, we'll get into the overthinking side of things because I think that's something we can both relate to. But mm-hmm. what I'm particularly drawn to is if you were spending all that time reading, you must have, Learned like to me, it just makes sense that you're a copywriter now, right? You must have learnt so much about language mm-hmm. around. Like you talked about escapism, you were obviously reading things that were uh, that were had the ability to detach you from your current reality. What, what did you learn about yourself and about writing in that time through going into those worlds where you could escape the current reality?
1: Um. I mean, I just learned that it was it was by far the best coping mechanism for me. Mm. No matter what's going on, and I still do this. If I'm super stressed out or something's really bothering me, all I, I can pick up a book usually and and just go away from it for a while. So it really was learning a coping strategy.
0: What is it about? Um, what is it about that space that is, does help you cope so well?
1: I think I imagine myself in the story. Um, like I've, I don't know if everybody thinks this, I've heard of other people think it, but when I'm done reading a book, it's almost like I'm in mourning and often I will just start it from the beginning again, because I can't stand to be separated from the characters.
0: That's, that's for me, that's when uh, a TV series that I've really enjoyed finishes Mm -hmm. and and you miss them.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I miss Fonzie. No, I'm joking.
1: (laughs) Jump the shark. It's over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The more more you go back and look at that show, the more ridiculous it seems. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. Um, So to me, what you've talked about there, that imagining yourself in the story, it just struck me that that's actually a big part of us finding purpose in our life is when we start imagining ourselves in that situation and what that particular character might need or what they should do or what what will unfold next then we can associate with other people going through the same thing so mm-hmm. if you think about like how the the lens that you see the world through now is that Do you you see it through that same way that you're imagining yourself in that situation? So in your work, for example, are you imagining yourself in that business to be able to write or you hadn't thought about it that way?
1: Um, No, I do definitely. um, I particularly enjoy writing stories and trying to sell things. So I think I definitely see myself that way. Try to get somebody to escape, even if it's only for four seconds, reading a Facebook post or um, I often try to make people laugh. That's, that's definitely an aspect of my personality that comes out. The strongest is that like you were saying before, people don't know whether to take me seriously or not. Almost all of the time, (laughs) even (laughs) when I am serious
0: yeah uh your bio says you're uh, into kung fu now me knowing you i'm like okay that's funny i like that but then no you actually do kung fu (laughs) it's like yeah so yeah my default was that's a joke
1: (laughs) right what are you talking about everybody was not kung fu fighting yes they were
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll come back to the kung fu and 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 we'll come back to the that that writing element too because i want to uh, hear more about the story. So, so you go through that bullying for, well, how many years it must, it must've, that must've dragged on those years. Um,
1: well, what ended up happening and it's weird because large portions of this are like completely blocked out of my memory. So um, I don't remember hardly any details from high school, which I think, think is kind of odd, Um, but I remember the general theme of it. So by the end of eighth grade, my mom had called some of the other moms and asked them, can you, you know, can you tell, ask your daughter to quit writing these letters and saying things to her at school? So that did actually stop by the end of eighth grade. And what took its place was um, that they treated me like I was invisible. They, it was just like, you know, if I walked past them in the hallway or saw them, which I did several times a day, it was like they had blinders on, like, you're not over there. So, um and what I really wanted more than anything was to be friends with them again, like I was before. So that was just as painful. Um mm-hmm. But there's, and there's nothing you can do about that, you know, they're not actively. So that lasted until... um my junior year, my birthday was in, is in August, so I turned 16 in August, started school, and I went for about two weeks, and I thought, you know what, people don't have to go to school anymore when they're 16, and I hate this effing place, and I'm not going to go here anymore, and so I, whatever class I was in, I feel like it was trigonometry or something, um, I waited until it was over. And I got my stuff and I went to the office and I said, um, I'm I'm quitting school. What do I do I need to sign something or what do I need to do?
0: That's always living the dream.
1: Yeah. And they're like, oh, um, well, you know, go in the counselor's office and I thought, Oh, they're gonna have somebody talk to me because through all of this I'm at school and nobody talks to me in any class. You know, there's you can't tell me the teachers didn't know this. Hmm. And because uh, in a small school, they know. Yes. So I thought, oh, they're finally going to ask me, you know, what's wrong and why I never talk. And no, I that, they just wanted me to sit in there for the rest of the day. It was in the morning because, um, you know, they get tax money every day for kids being at school. Nobody ever talked to me about it. And at the end of the day, they did call my mom. And, of course, she was like, well, you can't just quit school. And I said, no, I'll go to this other school. You can just enroll me there. Of course, inside thinking never, ever, have, like, I'm done with this, not yeah. coming to school. So, and there really wasn't anything. I mean, I guess she could have tried to force me into staying. But she knew as much as I did how painful it was it was for her, too. Mm. So, I went home, and that was that. Um, I did go to a dropout school for a while, which I can tell you about if you want. But um,
0: yeah. what's dropout school?
1: Oh man,
0: <laughs> that's, not, that's not that's not the real name, surely.
1: No, it's alternative, an alternative school.
0: Dropout. I called it oh. dropout school. Yeah,
1: um, but but as far as my regular high school you know, I'm like, just had gotten invited to something the week before for being like the third or fourth top in my class. And I come into the office and quit school and they have nothing to say about it. So that just kind of cemented like, well, they don't care if I'm here either. They probably also don't like me, you know.
0: It's it, staggering. As you said, they would have known. Like, yeah. It, it's, it would have been so obvious. And yet, they did nothing like it's mm-hmm. staggering.
1: Nothing. And, and I've just seen recently, I, I don't know, probably cause I've been talking about it some. So I'm seeing all these posts in my feed about bullying mm. and people saying like, gosh, bullying so much worse now than it used to be. And I'm here to tell you, no, it isn't. It's the same as it's always been. Mm. It, it might be more visible because of social media but there have always been bullies and there's always been kids who have been bullied since the beginning of time and they will always be there
0: <laughs> i i i would disagree as well like i can remember school like just copying it from all angles actually telling them one of those stories like first year of high school, first time in went to the canteen in high school i got someone got me in a headlock and demanded i give them my money, like, yeah, but then also I was bullied and I was the bully, and it was just commonplace across the school. Like,
1: mm-hmm. it's,
0: if anything, the visual part of it now is what I would imagine would have reduced it rather than rather than increased it because it all used to happen when no one really either they didn't know or it was just swept under the rug, like you're
1: describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and um, I'm a mentor for a girl that's in high school now. and I've been with her since she's been in third grade. And even with all of the zero tolerance bullying stuff, she's been bullied since I've been meeting with her. And there's been varying degrees of caring. She's been to a number of different schools. And first school she was at they didn't care at all and they knew i talked to them about it i couldn't do any you know i'm not her parent so i would just say gosh i saw this while i was here today and they oh yeah yeah well she's really good at taking care of herself and i would just be boiling with rage but Mm. what could i do? you know i'm
0: how 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 have you been able to help her because i imagine that you that you'd be the perfect person to be able to guide her through that.
1: Um, I hope I am. I I do what I can. She deals with it very different than I did. We went inward and became quiet, she lashes out and she gets in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. But I kind of um am in awe of that because I was always terrified that somebody would hurt me. As, you know, what if I go to school and somebody beats me up today? I don't know what to do if somebody starts a fight with me. I've never been in a fight. And that was on my mind every day. And it I never was physically bullied. It was all, um, you know, more emotional, mental type of things, which I think is pretty common for girls' type of bullying. But um, hers, this girl that I mentor, she... Uh, she is a different breed altogether. And she definitely had one incident where she had had enough and she took matters into her own hands and physically punished, shall we say, her bulliers. And I got to tell when she told me it was all I could do. I had to look away and look up and not look at her because I wanted to laugh because what she did, the kids fully deserved But what I told her was, you know, they didn't end up getting in trouble for it at all. And she did. Mm -hmm. And I said, Well, um, you know, maybe if you hadn't reacted that way, they would have gotten in trouble. But saying that didn't feel right to me, because I don't think it's true. I don't think they would have. So I don't know that for sure. But as far as helping her deal with it, what I do for her, I am not supposed to talk to her about things unless she brings them up. I'm supposed to be acting as like a trusted adult friend and I only see her at school. Yep. So I come there one hour a week to hang out with her and we do whatever she wants to do. So we do crafts. Sometimes we exercise Sometimes she just shows me her like anime games that she likes to play. So my role for her is an escape one hour a week, because I think to myself, gosh, if I would have had just one hour a week that I knew that somebody would talk to me and like me at school, that might have made a big difference for me.
0: Oh, no doubt. And it's interesting that you use that word escape, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, helping oh, yeah. yeah. Helping her the same way that, you had to then rely on a book to do. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really powerful. And I imagine just having someone that to listen, if she wants mm-hmm. to talk or not, just whether she decides to or not, would would be just so safe for her given, like even as adults, sometimes it's hard to find places to talk, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Amazing. Um, what you described there about having no memory of it, you said weird. I, I think it's fairly normal. I think people block out a lot of stuff when they're going through all of that. It's just their their brain's way of shielding them, keeping them safe from whatever pain. Because I imagine that whole time would have been yeah extremely difficult. And yeah, from my experience, it's it's why people have got big chunks of their memory that that they just they can't remember. Like mm. it, I, I used to say. When, when my kids were young, there's kind of a big block there of time where where the memory's really hazy. But actually, thinking back, it was also the same time just after my dad had passed away. So pr- that's probably got more to do with it than well, the sleep deprivation certainly wouldn't have helped. But it, <laughs> <Yeah>. it, <laughs> the <laughs> um, the the body just creates these incredible coping mechanisms. So I think most people will be able to relate to that. Now, you drop out of school and what you were describing is how sort of life unfolded for me was – unfolded for you was something that, that I could relate to myself. What did – what sort of transpired then over the next however many years as you – as the impact of this flowed through into your adult life?
1: Um, well, I really – I really was still very cripplingly shy and I figured out pretty quickly that if I had a few drinks that really helped with that quite a bit. So I got a, had a full-time job at the local gas station and that helped with my procurement of alcohol quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I eventually got fired from that job for that very reason. But um, that was something I really, really turned to when I was a teenager, not to an extreme amount, but I knew if I was going to be at a party or whatever, um, I would definitely drink. Otherwise, there's no way I would talk to anybody. And as I got older, I went through periods where I didn't drink as much, but then once I got... Um, let's see, I'm, I met kind of a new group of friends and we were all in college and it's like, okay, yay, let's party and do all these things. And like, oh yeah, this is fun. I've never gotten to do this. And there was a lot of drinking then. I, I had started smoking several years before. And um, I never really quit that college party type of lifestyle until I got pregnant, which is when I was 38 years old. So it went on for way too long. Um, But I think, you know, that was my way of coping with not just that trauma, but the things that came after that. I still had that feeling that. Probably nobody liked me. I had a lot of bad traits. I needed to be quiet and not say what I was thinking because that was probably annoying. Those things that I was told when I was 12 years old and admittedly by other kids who say they don't even remember, you know, that happening right. um, that stuck with me for it took over 30 years for me to realize that I still had a wound from that and even began to start trying to heal it and, and get over that.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I can relate to a lot of that, uh, shy kid, but really an extrovert uh, finding alcohol actually was a tool I could use. And then it, yeah, same being becoming a tool that I used for way too many years after, um, I don't know if you, if this resonates with you but it was like uh, you miss out on certain things growing up so then when you discover a new world it's like i went to everything like mm-hmm. if there was something on if there was a drink on if there was a party on one of my different friend networks whether it was sport or uni or school or whatever like I, I was i was there and that that became the real trap the fomo i had to do everything so i was always busy and i just kept me in a place of repeating the same patterns Mm-hmm. get through work to the weekend drink forget it all and then do it all over again
1: and for me um a lot of that caused issues with my work because i started having corporate jobs when i was just 19 um you know trying to that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be a big wig in the, in the corporate world and make a lot of money and I, then i would show those people that you know, I was, I wasn't a loser and that I could do things and I was smart and partying and staying out till three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, turns out does not mix well at all with getting up and trying to go to work at seven, eight o'clock in the morning and sitting at a desk all day.
0: No, it does not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My first few jobs did not end well. (laughs) By my choice, shall we say? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I would say you were lucky because I tended to go in jobs that almost enabled that behaviour.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, I definitely was trying to live two lives. There mm. didn't work.
0: So, what sort of work were you looking for at that point? Was there a specific skill set you were bringing to the table even then?
1: Um, not really. Um, I mean, when I was nineteen, I I didn't. I had my I had gotten my GED when I was seventeen, and oh, then
0: sorry. I translate for the uh,
1: oh for the world.
0: Str- yeah, the,
1: the uh, general equivalency diploma.
0: Right. So the, a the lot finishing, of finishing finishing. Uh, yes, yeah, basically like.
1: If you can pass this test, it proves that you could graduate from high school got it. if you wanted to. It's a pretty yeah. long test. Um and so I got that. And then that allows you to be able to go to college, but not I wouldn't have been able to get into like a university that actually makes you apply and cares about what's been going on before. So I started at a junior college. So when I started working In my first corporate job, I was in junior college at that time and went to school at night, worked in the day, and uh, eventually worked all the way through. I got my bachelor's degree and was on corporate job number two by then.
0: (laughs) Uh, Bachelor's degree in what field?
1: Oh, geez. This is almost embarrassing, but it was also practice for being a copywriter, uh, political science, like the biggest joke of a degree out there. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but I wrote tons and tons of papers. So, turned out to be useful much later on in life.
0: Yeah. Um, It is amazing how often these, these, pieces of our story, uh, when we look back, just go, mm, actually, that fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. So you've yeah. always had that interest in writing. Have you done any other writing through those years beyond what you had to?
1: I really didn't. Um, not at all. And an interesting thing, I even went – At one point, like during, I think, my heaviest drinking period, I didn't even read for a few years. Mm. So I was um, using Red Bull and vodka to escape rather than books.
0: That would have helped the sleep patterns too, I'm sure. Yeah. So so what impact did that then have on the rest of your life? Like if you are going through this same pattern, like...
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I never, uh, a lot of the relationships, friendships and and every kind of relationship that I had just weren't good or solid. Um, And I always wondered like, gosh, why can't I make friends because I lived in a different city and nobody ever wants to call me and do things. They'll do something if I ask or beg them to, and they're friendly enough. And they just were kind of superficial and never real friendships. And, um, you know, my my marriage was not good, not based on a lot of truths and, and things like that. So I was, even though I wasn't alone, I was still very lonely.
0: And... Can you see the patterns of of the impact of what you went through at high school then playing out in those relationships?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely I think still a thing that that I it was the underlying I'm not good enough and nobody really likes me theme playing out over and over again, and me sabotaging things when I needed to. Sometimes I didn't even need to because I would attract people that were just you know, the, the kind of people that were going to make me feel that way anyway.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what did some of the other sabotage look like? What sort of things did you get up to?
1: Um, just a lot of, uh, unhealthy eating. And I mean, obviously drinking as much as I was and smoking cigarettes and just gossiping I always say I really didn't start to mature at all until I got pregnant and quit drinking. Um, so I was really just kind of living a an early twenty something life for like fifteen years.
0: Hmm. Yep, can relate to that. It's amazing the difference kids makes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if I relayed this story on on this podcast. I've told it on other ones, but my I remember getting up very bleary eyed when my oldest. Was quite young and got up to give her a bottle, nappy change, and then back to bed. Hopefully, she would get back to sleep. And she rolled off the change table, and I just sort of grabbed into space and just got enough jumpsuit to keep her off the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. And for
0: me, that was just one of those moments of like, gotta be better than this. Like, mm-hmm. just a, a real moment of looking in the mirror and going, like, you know, calling myself all of the names that you could imagine. So, was it was there one moment that had you realizing you need to change was it was it a build up of a whole lot of moments that or was it just the okay I'm pregnant I need to make changes or having to make changes
1: um well for for a woman that gets pregnant it's almost as if you don't have a choice you do unfortunately have a choice but for me my moral uh, baseline and code was very strong. My parents um, are not drinkers. They never have been. And, you know, I was just raised that I'm pregnant. So I'm done drinking now, at least for the next nine months. So I had no choice as soon as I found out. But that moment when I found out um, was not joyful for me in any way. <laughs> I was devastated because we had an, you know, it was a Friday and I had been at work and I was sitting next to a good friend of mine and she was actually like eight months pregnant at the time. And I told her a few symptoms I had been having lately. I'm like, gosh, I don't know what the deal is. Um, blah, blah, blah. And she said, hmm, you should probably stop and get a pregnancy test on your way home. And I said, What? no like i'm i've already you know we're not having kids and this is not the deal and she said i i think that it might be so i did i stopped on the way home and it was like didn't even take 10 seconds to turn positive positive. Hmm. and i cried and cried and told my husband and i'm like oh my gosh guess what well, he was excited and started calling people instantly and I could barely talk. And so then I had no choice to you know, like, well, he's sold his dad and I better call my mom and um and I was I was bummed because I'm like this now what? Now I can't have drinks anymore, now I can't party anymore, this is over, and I was in mourning mm. for that.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: Which now looking back, it's like, oh my gosh, I should have um, done this like 10 years before I did because it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I loved being a mom once he was born. But that initial feeling was not a happy one.
0: When you become pregnant, there's a lot of stuff goes on with your bodies and, and your mind and everything like adding that to the mix. How challenging was the first stages of pregnancy or the whole pregnancy?
1: I think I cried on and off pretty much every day for the first four months, at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then after that, it was like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna do this. I mean, I'd rather not give birth ever, but um, there doesn't seem to be a way around that. So we'll just won't think about that for now. And you know, then I got into decorating the room and it's like, okay, well, um, I can see where this will work out. This is gonna be kind of cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
1: and good. then I went into labor and like completely freaked out. I'm like, no, 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 no. Somebody just put me out of my misery, but... Uh, <laughs>
0: but then that moment that they were born
1: yeah we all survived um so when when he was born um i didn't see him for about three and a half hours after he was born because i ended up having a cesarean and the I don't know if this is true or a myth, but I was born a redhead, so um, they say I've heard that redheads need more um, anesthesia or pain pills that they be to work. So I had had an epidural, and I told them this is not going to work. They said, "Oh, we just boost your epidural for the cesarean," and I'm like, "Well, it took like three two or three hours for the epidural to kick in and work when I was in labor. So I don't see how that's going to work. And they said, Oh, trust me. It will. Well, we get in there and they start cutting into me. And you're like, like you're being and you like- down and um, I'm like, I can feel that. And oh, they, no. I'm freaking out, but you can't move like you're paralyzed from the waist down. And then where you're not paralyzed you're tied down and then there's a sheet right in front of your face it's like such a weird thing um so anyway i was flipping out and they put me all the way under and then they cut my bladder so i had like they had to repair that and whatever so i anyway i woke up in the recovery room like three and a half hours later had no like what just happened and like did i have a baby you know it was all yeah. Drugged up nonsense. But when I saw him, I didn't uh like everybody talks about this rush of feeling and emotion. And I had none. It was like, huh. And then I was thinking, like, man, what is wrong with me? Mm. Um, and I later figured out it was like the hormones and all of that, and I had a pretty severe case of postpartum depression also but and i've i've heard of other like i didn't tell anybody this for a very long time because i thought oh something is severely missing in me because i hear all these other people having a baby and they're like oh it's the most precious thing and i was my reaction in my head was huh so that's what he looks like okay it was very bizarre
0: hmm now whether it's in circumstances like that or other moments in life i think that many will relate to that moment of you know the typical reaction in different situations and when when your own reaction is one that's very different yeah that's where you go like what on earth is wrong with me Mm -hmm. so how did you make sense of that and process that in the coming days weeks months
1: um I just had a like crushing shame and guilt Hmm. and I was overwhelmed. Um, I had this medication schedule I was supposed to keep up with to keep the pain at bay. But in order to do that, I couldn't wake up in the night with him. And so I'm trying to like cut back on pain meds. And then I'm like out of control because I'm in pain. It was just hard. And And it felt overwhelming. I felt very ashamed of myself and very less than. And luckily my mom came and stayed with us for like almost three weeks, I think. Um, So I could sleep and he and I, since I had had the extra surgery on my bladder, I got sent home with a um, a catheter.
0: For mm. like
1: 10 days, that was awful too. So I was in a lot of pain. We had a big, crazy dog that had to be walked. It was just, it was hard. Mm. And I and I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And, and like I was never going to be able to handle all of it ever. And I thinking like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Other people have babies every freaking day and just carry on. And why can't I?
0: Because no one talks about what's really going on, even right. if you go to mothers' groups or whatever, everyone's trying to one up each other and say what's what's really going. Yeah, you know, this is you know like almost like a competition instead of actually going
1: mm-hmm. actually
0: turned to shit. Like, yes. What, what do I do now?
1: And I was in one of those moms' groups too, where people are like, "Oh, you fed your baby this? ooh, ooh you know, um, they judge you heathen so (laughs) so of course i went down that path for a while too i I made all of his food it was all organic i think trying to make up i couldn't nurse i i had planned on nurse do an extended nursing i had it all set up and i didn't even know it was possible that i didn't produce any milk which i found out was likely due to the traumatic birth thing Mm -hmm. um so that was like, what? What is wrong with me? I can't even do this thing that is supposed to be natural. And um, every every mother will tell you that, like, oh, you had these plans. That's funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: not gonna work. So that it wasn't anything uh, different, but I did. You know, it was a really hard, hard time to get through, but we got through it.
0: Because you have to, right? When you're a mom, you've just got to get through it.
1: Yeah, you have no choice. Yeah. Um, and that that was really when when he was born and started growing up and interacting with other kids when I thought, gosh, I'm not over this thing that happened to me all these years ago. I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And I was going to a counselor, and I think that my son was in. Pre- preschool at the time. And I started talking to her about how scared I was for him to start kindergarten and go to public school. And I just started crying and I cried for like an hour. And I I, I can't even tell you why I'm crying. I don't know what's wrong. And she said, well, I think that this might be something with your schooling that you're you know, projecting on him. And I thought, well, I better get this dealt with then because I can't be putting all this fear and all these things on him that I'm feeling about school.
0: Mm. Isn't it amazing when, when we have these things that happen to us in life, we just Mm. bottle them up. We suppress them. We don't acknowledge it. But I don't know if you remember how you felt, but I've had moments like that where I've just, the, the tears have started, you can't stop them. And it's, it's almost a bittersweet experience. Like, why am I crying? But this actually feels yeah. good. And I, <laughs> was, yeah. it, was it such a relief after that?
1: Um, I don't know if it was a relief. Cause I, I remember feeling pretty terrible for the rest of the day. Hmm. Um, And it, but it was really interesting to me. I like to often look at things I do and say, oh, look at that. Um, And I thought, gosh, I have literally not thought about these people for years, although I am friends with some of them on Facebook, but, um, you know, I don't, I just don't think about them. I thought that healing from something was like, well, that's been, 30 plus years ago. So I'm over that now. I'm, I'm I'm healed from that. And I didn't realize that that it meant you had to actually do some kind of uh, applying some salve to it and maybe putting a Band-Aid on it or something to really be healed from it until that day. So it was pretty interesting, eye-opening hmm. thing that just came out of nowhere.
0: Uh, I'm a big believer that, these things show when we're ready to, to deal with them. We've, we've might've dealt with some other stuff that needed to be, got out of the road first and then we're, we're ready, whether we feel like we're ready or not. What changed for you after that, when you finally had someone who, who could listen to you and, and, and help you understand the impact that was still having? Um, it
1: was a very slow change. It took, Years, Um, I just started being, I don't know, more, I don't know if more strong is the word, but standing up more for what I thought was right. And um, confronting people is very stressful for me. And it's still, I just had to today, I had to stand up for myself. And it makes me feel like I'm going to throw up still. Because I spent so many years not doing right.
0: that. Yeah, I actually wrote that down. I was going to come back to that, so I'm glad you brought it up. the, the you said you always had that fear of the fight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that might be that that might come and I was going to ask you about confrontations. Now, to me that like it might have shown up in that time around the bullying, but is it something that if you look back, is it something that you probably already had a fear around?
1: Probably, um, I think I'm naturally a a peacekeeper, yep. to go between. Yeah. go-between. So, yeah,
0: yeah, That seems right. For sure. Recent interview, this came up, and well, I, I think it was in one of my interviews, if not. Anyway, I'll share it again. I was talking to someone, and they were describing how they had a similar thing going on for them but they didn't grow up in a family where there was lots of confrontation in fact the opposite and so that the on those very rare occasions when there was an altercation it felt so foreign and uncomfortable that they were like i don't want to do that ever again i don't want to experience that so they take that pattern forward is that like is that something you could relate to that's
1: exactly exactly how i grew up there was no confrontation everybody just Kind of went with the flow. Um, My sister, I'm sure she'll listen to this. She was kind of a sassy teenager. So there was some confrontation for her. She's never been worried about confronting people. (laughs) So I remember some fireworks when she was younger. But other than that, I mean, we just hung out, did our thing. We didn't have, you know, drinkers in our family, which drinking a lot of times is what will spur fights and disagreements mm-hmm. um so it was pretty low-key we did a lot of laughing and whatever so yeah anytime there was something i just didn't want to deal with it i didn't want to be around it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it felt bad
0: that phrase that you said you know that what what's wrong with you it, it i don't know if you use these exact words around the bullying but i imagine it would have been similar conversations to yourself of like okay well what's wrong with me mm-hmm. how have you been able to and i will say this having been someone who would ask that question myself there is still times where i ask that myself that question so how have you been able to get better at dealing with that question and if does it if it still shows up how does it show up and how do you now deal with it
1: um it shows up in a lot of different places so it shows up in my work where um, and this is really common for other business owners. I know because I'm friends with a lot of them where I have imposter syndrome and think, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? There's so many other people that can do this so much better. And just in the last year, I've started really noticing when I've met people or um, interacted with them online that I might think right away like, oh gosh, they've got it way more together than I do. Of course, why wouldn't they? And then if I start to talk to them more in depth, I think, I, I don't just think I know, okay, this is, they're just um, putting out a better front than I do. I actually have a lot more knowledge on this subject than they do. And I do deserve to have a place here at this table. And actually they should be the ones asking me for advice because I've done more study in this area. And, and I've got some good information that could help them.
0: Oh, I love that. And to me, if you go back through the story that you've described, like everything that you've done has led you to this point with learning about the power of writing, The the you get value from the silence, like the dealing with the what's wrong with you, like you know what it's like to be that business owner. You can write through that language to help them to be able to share their message in a more powerful way to other people who are going through a similar sort of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely love that. And, and what you described there, many, many business owners, but probably just anyone, any sort of job, when, when you have that inferiority complex or imposter syndrome, as you said, how often when you actually start talking to people, you realise that, man, like, what am I worried about? How do I be more, as confident as them, but mm-hmm. actually having the uh, skills to back it up? Right.
1: Yeah. And there's the whole, and I did this for years, like, oh, you know what, I'm going to launch my thing, but first I'm going to take this class. So I'll know this. And mm-hmm. then I need to practice it for a few months. And then this, and um, I don't know, it's like, well, I can tell you, I think there's one thing in my life that has caused me to move past that, and we've mentioned it a couple times, and it's definitely Kung Fu. Um, just like with the, it's, it's almost like I'm doing what I should have done when I was a kid. I'm, I'm taking martial arts, and I'm, I picked up piano lessons again that I hadn't taken since around that age. And I'm doing all these things that push me out of my comfort zone way, way out and make me do all these things so that I'm used to being uncomfortable and it's translating into my work. So I'm doing things that make me uncomfortable there and it's working out. Imagine that.
0: Awesome. And uh, embracing fighting.
1: hmm Yeah. And and as an added bonus, embracing teenagers, which I have been terrified of since I was a teenager, because there are a lot of teenagers in the class.
0: Mm, that's and good. That,
1: that was very uh, off-putting for me for the longest time. Like I don't know. I don't. Do I want to be around these teenagers? Teenagers are super mean. Um, now they're going to be making fun of me because I'm old and I can't. You know. Am I going to be able to handle that? And uh, so that was, I would almost rather at this point take a punch in the nose than have been around a teenager. I shouldn't say at this point, at this year, last year, at this time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I've realized that there are actually nice teenagers in the world. <laughs> Other people may have known that already. I did not.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> One thing is for sure, anyone listening to this, whether it's having gone through bullying or something else, is that the thing that we've been stuck on for a long time, it's not logical and and yet when we come out the other side and we learn about it and we actually then realise that it gives us a new way of seeing the world that few do. So if you look at your writing, how are you able to see things for business owners in a different way than the other copywriters out there in a way that will help them reach their audience?
1: What I'm always looking for is um, something different. So even though I, I do write for social media and I think, excuse me, that social media marketing works well, I like to look for... If you will, the oddball thing (laughs) um, that will catch people's attention in a way that, you know, social media, you've got like a split second to stop their scroll with some kind of shocking headline or or something really deep that they just, you know, that you could get into their head and be thinking. But if you're doing something that they haven't seen, if not ever, but for a long time, then you're going to stand out. So let me give you an example of this because it's a little bit hard to explain. So um, we'll use the Kung Fu School. So I am writing a white paper for the Kung Fu School right now about, it's which a white paper for those who don't know is just a research document. It's not a sales piece, but the owner of the school where I go is really, really experienced. He's owned the school for over 30 years And he's a Kung Fu master, I believe they call it, Sifu. And he knows a lot about kids because he's been teaching kids for a long time. So I interviewed him about how Kung Fu can help your kids learn to pay attention and develop discipline in them and how it can really develop a baseline for sports for kids that Um, or playing basketball or football or whatever, how it's really unique and great conditioning for that. So I'm putting this white paper together as a letter from him to say, hey, parents, you know, if if your kid could use more discipline, if they could use more self-confidence, or if you're just trying to get a really good training base for sports, um, martial arts is a really good way to go. And here's why. And here's the research that backs it up. And so we're doing this and it'll be printed out as a letter and actually mailed to people's houses. And it's not trying to sell them anything. It's just telling them, oh, do you have this problem? Well, you're guessing you might because you live in this zip code here and, and it says you have 2.4 children in your house. Um, and at the end, it'll just say, you know, thanks for reading this paper. I hope it was helpful. This is my name and here's the address of my school. Have a great day. Um, and Love when it. they when they get that, that, that will be different than when I left a restaurant a few weeks ago and saw four signs in the grass for four different martial arts schools saying, try us for four weeks for $39. Try us for six weeks for $47 plus a uniform. They're all competing on price.
0: Mm, a race so, to the moon
1: Yep. So I'm taking him out of the price game and saying, you know, do you have this problem with your kid? A lot of people do. And here's a solution that you could try.
0: Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Oddball copywriting. Fantastic. Um... <laughs> when. <laughs> We've had this conversation before, but we, we connected in. in I'm going
1: to talk about my cat.
0: I'm going to talk about your cat. <laughs> oh, poor kitty. Uh, not poor kitty. Um, yeah, the amount of times kid. where we would be on that group call and your cat would uh, present. <laughs> Her <rare> <laughs> we were saying, uh, what a, uh, it's actually a, a friendly gesture.
1: Yeah. <laughs> She's just saying hello with her little starfish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> why Why has the oddball uh, copywriter not been sharing that oddball moment with her audience? <laughs>
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm making a transformation into a crazy cat lady.
0: It's <laughs> no <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah. I wasn't heading anywhere with that. I just wanted to mention the cat.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, and I can't believe she actually hasn't shown up here tonight either. No, she she must usually, be feeling shy.
0: Yeah, because usually when we chat, she's straight in. Um, we were talking before we jumped on the bizarro world. Um, the, uh, our cats are nearly the same. we got sons with the same name. Um, you mentioned at 38 was when things changed. Like the same for me. 38 was like the moment where I'm like, yeah, and I'm not doing this anymore it's um, oh, crazy it, it is and what i also love is how much of that story i, I really relate to and uh turns out I'm, I'm a bit of an oddball myself so thank you for sharing that and making it okay for oddballs across the world to be okay in that space i really appreciate allison
1: yeah i'm i'm happy to advocate for oddballs everywhere i go
0: <laughs> awesome where can people find you so they can find more out, find out more about oddball copywriting?
1: Well, um, you can friend request me on my profile, but I'll warn you, if you try to look at my profile on a computer, it's broken. Um, it gives you a broken link, but you can look at it on a phone. Facebook,
0: That's
1: I've been trying to get this fixed for over a year. It is like the bane of my existence. Um, so... <laughs> If you if you look on a mobile device, you can look on my profile. It's up public, um, but otherwise, I've got my business Facebook page is um, the Oddball Copywriter, and Instagram also is Allison the Copywriter.
0: Awesome. So. If you want to differentiate yourself from the crowd and uh not compete on price then reach out to Allison and, and uh find out more Alison I've loved this uh I knew it would be entertaining as our conversations always are uh and I learned a heap more about you which I didn't know so thank you for sharing I know this will be extremely valuable to everyone listening appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for having me it was fun
0: you're welcome